This is Claire Brennan and Maria DeRage, and we're going to talk about the women's rights movement. So in 1776, Abigail Adams urged her husband to remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. This was the beginning um, of feminism in the U.S. It had existed um, throughout history in other countries, but um, Abigail Adams was essential in... um, arguing for women's rights uh, at the birth of the Constitution um, and the country. And then later, around 1848, first wave feminism began, um, which was the West's first sustained political movement for women's rights, suffrage, and gaining the right of women to vote. Um, A lot of the leaders were abolitionists, so the movement grew together, including Sojourner Truth, um, <laughs> Frederick Douglass, um, actually spoke at Seneca Falls, and so those movements were kind of interconnected, and one really supported the other. Um, so when you know abolitionists were successful after the Civil War, it kind of propelled the women's rights movement um, further. And they ended up gaining the right to vote, of course, by, uh, through the 19th Amendment in 1920. And then um, skipping to second wave feminism, which kind of began in 1963 with the Equal Pay Act. Uh, yeah, so until the late 1960s, um, newspapers would publish separate job listings for men and women. And um, they were categorized as like sex and almost always the higher level jobs uh, listed were listed under help wanted male. And um, within that time period, women with full-time jobs earned on average between 59 to 64 uh, cents for every dollar, you know, a man with the same job would have. And um, so in 1963, the Equal Pay Act was passed and it mandated that women and men receive the same pay for the same work and uh, even though this has been in place since 1963 we still haven't fully achieved uh, gender pay equality in America because mostly because of the premise that employees pay should equate um, one's amount of work so a lot of this can be like left up to interpretation for the employer despite the pay act and Um, If the higher titles are primarily distributed to men most of the time, then it makes sense that this would lead to, like, a systemic discrimination against women in the workplace. And um, recent studies have shown that women make 80 cents for every dollar earned by a man, and uh, some studies show, like, 95 cents, but this number is even lower for minority women. In fact, there was a court case on June 16, 2003, called Gonzalez uh, versus Abercrombie and Fitch. And in this case, uh, several employees filed a lawsuit in the United States District Court um, for the Northern District of California, declaring that the company was systematically discriminating against women, and more specifically, uh, women of color and female employment and promotional opportunities were limited in this company and uh, a few years later in 2005 
the court approved a $50 million settlement, which required the company to provide monetary benefits to minority female employees that had initially charged the company with discrimination. So a lot of that and um, can be kind of attributed to discrepancies in, you know, educational opportunities um, and job opportunities when it comes to minority um, women. And so that's just something that's happened throughout history. Uh, and so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you want to talk about Roe versus Wade? Yeah, so... Um... Roe versus Wade, prior to Roe versus Wade, abortion had been illegal throughout much of the country since uh, the late 19th century. But in 1973, the court ruled that the restrictive state regulation of abortion is unconstitutional because it uh, violates a woman's constitutional right of privacy. Um, and more recently, in 2019, there was a bill passed the Fund Planned Parenthood Act of 2019, which restricted the federal funding for Planned Parenthood Federation of America, and um, it prohibited for a year period the availability of federal funds for any purpose of this entity, and um, it didn't apply to cases of rape or incest, but still any case of abortion where the woman was not in danger right. um so yeah that's more recently yeah that's been happening. yeah more recently like limited take taking action legislatively to limit women's options um so the second wave of feminism kind of focused more on casual and systemic sexism which is demonstrated by those two um, court cases is specifically the first one. Um, and, you know, those um, kind of differences between men and women in the workplace, um, which the Equal Pay Act, like, tried to kind of get rid of, but they were still very much there, um, and they still are today. So um, it also built... So, like, examples of kind of how they tried to combat more casual um, instances of misogyny and sexism where they built shelters for women fleeing domestic violence and harassment. Um, And once again, black women and people and women of color were um, central in the fight for women's rights during this specific wave. Um, They kind of once again worked hand in hand. Um, And they uh, specifically, one of the main things that uh, second wave feminist, <laughs> feminists um, kind of advocated for was um, stopping the forced sterilization of um, people of color with disabilities. Um, and so a lot of this, since this was in the time period, um, 1963 to like the 1980s, relatively, um, it kind of coincided with the anti-war movement as well. And so it was kind of this like Reagan era conservatism that was happening kind of dismissed this um, as like second wave feminist 
as like bra burning like hippies that were obsessed with kind of like petty things like wearing a bra rather than like actual issues because the issues that they were trying to combat were more like integrated within society and less um you know like obvious as the right to vote um so you couldn't like point to it and be like this is what it was more of like on the daily this is how women are disadvantaged within their communities um and so that kind of was characterized by the politics at the time um and yeah yeah um i can totally see how that's happening even today i mean most of the issues that um are disseminated throughout women's rights movements are subtle one could say but really like important yeah yeah like um i think that like a lot of things that women are pushing for are just different than what has ever been fought for like basic right rights right and um it seems like we're asking for more right than we deserve whereas right. it's because of like the systemic discrimination that's been in place for so long that has made men that has like conditioned us as a society to think that um asking for equals like asking for more almost. yeah yeah exactly um and so that kind of has changed like the public opinion um of feminism as a whole and so that kind of leads me to like the third wave feminism which is like it's kind of disputed because it's not super defined like you know as you go further um through these like waves of feminism the most recent one is really not um super defined but some claim it kind of began with um 1991 Anita Hill testifying that Clarence Thomas the Supreme Court nominee had harassed her at work and um by that logic, you could even extend that to the Brett Kavanaugh Senate hearings of 2018, and both of these men were confirmed, although they had serious uh, legal challenges from women that were saying that they were discriminated against or harassed um, or assaulted. Um, and that kind of coincides uh, with the Me Too movement that is um, developed as a result of kind of more women speaking out publicly about how they've been treated in the workplace. And so it kind of goes further than just monetary discrimination or, you know, really kind of obvious things. It's kind of like just stuff that's pushed under the rug and not really discussed. And that kind of lack of discussion has perpetuated um, the public, you know,'s opinion of these women that are coming out as being like they're, you know, trying to grab attention or, like, whatever people love to say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Me Too movement, uh, a lot of people might not know this, but it actually started in 2006. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tarana Burke started it, but uh, it got a lot of traction in 2017 with, uh, you know, everything that was happening, and I guess it just really encouraged a lot of women to come out with their stories and... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, speak out about this because it's, I mean, it's crazy that this movement has been going on for so long and we haven't even known. Right. But And it happens more than you think and it's very like, you know, subtle and kind of not, you can't like point your finger um, to 
like what exactly unless it was like a, a specific instance it's like usually it's a lot of little things like a lot of little comments from like clientele or you know managers or something and like I've heard personal stories from like people that work in like either the retail industry or in um restaurants where you know the men that they're like working for are taking advantage of people in their positions because of power because they know that they can get away with it yeah um so it's very much so relevant so for sure and it's um kind of crazy how people don't understand women um being afraid to speak out about their experiences because like you said like men know that they can get away with these things and women know that men know that so it's it's just like a cycle and it's terrible right and when they do speak out a lot of times they're ostracized or you know kind of blamed uh for like what happens to the man or like you know they're trying to like get money out of it or anything other than like factual like evidence like even if they you know stand in court and they have all of the proof it's even like getting there for a lot of people um because of that stigma like you're so scared that nobody's gonna believe you yeah and so it's like getting there is the hardest part because you know you have to be comfortable in the knowledge that like a lot of times people aren't people aren't like you know believed and stuff so um yeah that's interesting but another um like main part of third wave feminism um is kind of intersectional feminism and um the feminist philosopher like judith butler kind of sparked this um, wave of including kind of trans rights and um, like it kind of coincided with uh, the LGBTQ plus movement um, and including people that, you know, all people that identify as female in the women's rights movement, not just those that are born um, with female uh, anatomy and so uh, that kind of has coincided with the third wave um, and she kind of wrote about gender a lot um, I've read a lot of her stuff and it's uh, about like gender performativity and how you know the construct of gender as a whole is something that is um, so ingrained with in society and kind of coincides with feminism because when you break down those subtle gender roles um you kind of there's more fluidity to what women can do and um yeah so (laughs) yeah um that's that's a really good point i i think that um you're right i mean there's so many things that we don't realize um, just our society is shaped in one way that makes us think that because you are blank gender, you cannot do blank. And, um, I mean, there's, it's just crazy how women have to 
or like even like it's so like simple as something like going into the store and like things are sorted out into like um men's clothes and women's clothes and if you like if you really do like pay attention to that um then it becomes glaringly obvious how like you know um like men's clothes like won't have a like pajama section or like whatever but like women's will and like all of the women's will be like in a certain pattern or like a certain cut and like though even the way that like the mannequins are like displayed in that store like totally has an impression on people that are you know purchasing clothes like consumers and just like people that are looking at you know the fashion industry and um models and just kind of clothing in general it's so like interwoven within like all of our um gender performance ideals so yes you're totally right it's it's the subtle things that make it what it is and um talking about the fashion industry specifically there's so many movies and uh you know things in the media that kind of like to subtly display women who uh embrace fashion as dumb and um (laughs) just have like a negative connotation with that and it's really um it, it affects how people decide to view fashion mm-hmm. and it's really limiting to women like if somebody wants to uh, be super passionate about it it's kind of hard because of outside opinions yeah it's like fashion and just kind of like art in general are kind of viewed as like frivolous and not um important as like math and science Mm -hmm. um and you know that kind of goes along with like uh you know boys are typically like pushed more towards like stem classes and that's even obvious like in you know our classes like being around being in a lot of math classes like it's mainly just guys um And, like, it's not a huge, you know, difference in proportion, but, like, it's noticeable, you know. And that's just a a characteristic of just, like, subtle sexism that's kind of ingrained in us, like, from a young age. Um, And, like, you know, if you ask, like, the people that I'll ask, like, what they're majoring in or something, and they'll be, the guys are more likely to say, like, business or, like, math-related things rather than, like, kind of art, and that's just something that I've noticed, and that's not necessarily, like, I don't want to make a generalization, but it is kind of a product of that idea that, like, art in general is more, like, feminine, um, typically, and has been seen as such throughout history, so... Yeah, and it's um, equally as hard, I think, for women who do decide to pursue STEM categories. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, they have their own struggles, and I've I've even witnessed interviews, or not interviews, but, like, discussions in the workplace. I've seen, like, a video online of this woman um, at, like, a work meeting with her engineering company, and she was just getting co- talked over, you know, 
like the smallest things like that like not even being able to voice your own opinion and um contribute to your job because it's primarily you know dominated by men like that just shows you know that just proves your point that like totally yeah and like so touching on what maria said earlier about um like fashion kind of changing because of feminism and like um more companies are kind of displaying like non-binary you know options and kind of gender fluid um presentation just in general whether it's clothes or makeup or hair or you know whatever um and so that kind of coincides with like the feminist movement you know that some consider like the fourth wave um that kind of surrounds like online like body positivity more companies are showing women in their natural form without using you know touch-ups or um like retouching their photos at all or you know only casting really skinny models um they're kind of using people of all um sizes to kind of like show their clothes um and so that is kind of a characteristic of that but um that's kind of helping to destigmatize a lot of um like feminist uh goals you know <laughs> uh yeah you're totally right uh but as much you know as much as uh it's it's great that like support is increasing for those kind of things but unfortunately there are still a lot of groups out there that uh, don't agree and yeah. just want to uh, head in the opposite direction and uh, there's actually a um, social media page called A Voice for Men uh, run by Paul Elam and um, the men's rights movement actually started in the 1970s like as kind of a response to everything but um definitely I would say that there's more support for what's happening than lack of support right I agree and so you know some of the the things that we can do to kind of help this you know there have been like disputes between the generations of feminism where like some people say that new wave feminism is detracting from you know the goals of first wave feminism and second wave feminism and kind of like it's too extreme or you know whatever and so that kind of continued stigma around feminism and in that causes the increased polarization that you were talking about where there's like these anti-feminist movements that are happening um and men's rights movements or whatever and so <laughs> some some goals that are you know tangible goals are you know closing the wage gap um making it illegal to pay men and women different things for the same amount of work like you said but um not like not leaving it up to the individual companies to dictate what um those different like works amount of work is um and you know with that comes providing women more opportunities and education especially for um, lower income or socioeconomically disadvantaged women um, 
and this comes coincides with things like a higher minimum wage, um, tuition-free public college, because when you give people access to things that can help them, you know, get where they need to be, then you won't have as much of a gap between, um, you know, socioeconomic classes and that kind of precipitates gender gaps. So, um, and then, you know, maintaining the existing legislation, um, protecting Roe versus Wade, um, and further furthering um, Planned Parenthood funding um, so that women have access to the health care they need because they don't just provide abortion health care. They provide things like, you know, family planning and mammograms and things that keep women safe and um, that are essential to having a to feminism yeah um so going back to uh the gender pay gap uh for now what companies can do is uh just incorporate more transparency throughout their system and um i just feel like whenever standards are just more um like equitable object objective and like measurable yeah it can help eliminate like visible bias right uh in all things but specifically in this situation i feel like um what they can do is like look at market rates for pay and use objective measures instead of uh looking at like past pay um and other subjective factors because you know, if companies just look at, like, past salaries, then that doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah. Um, and earlier in 2019, uh, the House of Representatives passed the Paycheck Fairness Act, which prohibited uh, using salary history in setting pay for new hires, so that's good. Um, I think this has definitely contributed to helping close the gap but still have a lot of work to do yeah there's still a lot of work to do just in general so Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's the history of the women's rights movement um and yeah all right thank you thanks for watching bye